0: Episode 4 of IntelliCast, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. This is Adam Jolly, joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian Lamar. Brian, how you doing? Doing great. What's new? You know, getting ready to get on a
1: flight. Oh, yeah. So you are. Yeah,
0: I am. I'm actually uh, thinking about changing my flight uh, due to and mayhem. Um, but I just wanted to give some quick plugs before we jump in. First of all, um, please... As always, feel free to email us any feedback that you have, any questions, anything that you, any topics you want to hear about for market research or on the sample supplier industry. You can email us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or myself, Adam Jolly. Um, no spaces, no dashes, no dots. On Twitter, and I think that'll be a great place this week as we head out to SampleCon. And and that is kind of our main topic of today, is talking about SampleCon. Um, really the only conference um, for sample suppliers, only really about sample. Um, it's the least sales conference for me of the year. It really is just the knowledge, seeing what everyone else is doing. Um, Brian, what are you looking forward to most about
1: SampleCon? Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to going to Austin. I've never been to Austin, Texas before, so I'm really looking forward to that. But about the conference itself, I think we'll see some friends. I mean, we're all, a lot of these are our partners, so it's good to see people. This is the only time of the year we get to see a lot of these people. Um, obviously, the Scavenger Hunt, which we are promoting
0: Um, Oh, tell year. me more. Tell me more about the Scavenger Hunt. Yeah. So it's a
1: very natural advertisement. We're, we're sponsoring a Scavenger Hunt. This is year two of the SampleCon Scavenger Hunt. There's big prizes. Uh, you'll probably listen to this after the scavenger hunt, so hopefully it was a good time. But um should be a lot of fun. It should be 40, 50 people running around Austin, doing lots of crazy tasks, hopefully winning some big prizes.
0: I think it's going to be great. Um, one thing, I didn't know what to expect last year when we did the scavenger hunt in New Orleans. Um, I really just expected it to be like go to a lot of things and see like the kooky touristy type parts. But really... Like, we ran all around the for- the French Quarter. Yeah. Um, and we met some people. The people that were in your groups so you got to really know and got to trust on. Like, the... You started to, like, you saw, like, leadership skills develop. It was a lot yep. like when I see, like, my four-year-old at a play date. Like, yep. who's the alpha? Yep. Who is, like, the smart guy in the group? Yep. You know,
1: that type of thing. You um, saw the competitiveness of people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you saw people get out of their comfort zones, a little personality of people that you normally don't get to see. So that was fun.
0: And that was probably some of the drinking, too. <laughs> we, we did have a couple hand grenades. That's right. Does Austin have, like, a signature drink? Austin just weird. That's their <laughs> thing, right? right yeah keep austin weird all right we'll see maybe they have something like we haven't even discovered yet let's hope so yeah i'm looking forward to trying it uh, but let's talk a little bit more about sample cons. so besides the scavenger hunt what is i guess what is the thing you're looking forward to hearing the most is there a talk that you're looking forward to seeing uh, which really stands out for you
1: i think generally i'm passionate about data quality and i have been for a while i think we're in a kind of a crossroads as an industry. So I know you're speaking about it, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But I think that other people are really going to, to promote what they're doing about quality. And as you saw in one of our earlier episodes or listened in one of our earlier episodes, I'm hoping that there's an industry solution and maybe collectively we can come together for some sort of industry solution. So I'm looking forward to kind of the general theme and seeing if there's some sort of solution. What I don't want, and this is what you see at a lot of conferences, is people get up there and say, uh, this is we have poor quality and then there's no solution. We forget about it in three days.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably you'll probably get that. Or that we have the best solution. No one's thinking about this. Um I expect samples con to be a lot of programmatic sampling talk. Yeah, A lot of um speeding up the fieldwork sample process. Um that's why ours our topic that we're speaking on Thursday is really unique because B2B sample is kind of the forgotten forgotten aspect of sample, I think. Um, and part of that is, you know, you have so much of the quantitative sample part is pushed through consumer-type sampling, you know, with companies like P&G and Coca-Cola, and, you know, they're doing all this work, and consumer goods is such a huge aspect of the work, but that, that doesn't mean that we have to ignore what's going on with B2B sample. Um, so I'm hoping... My hope, honestly, and this sounds dumb from a sales side, but I hope I'm not the only person talking about B2B sampling. If someone else there is thinking, what are we doing with B2B sample? How can I'm paying $30 for a CPI? Why am I? suspicious every time I buy a sample. Why am I suspicious that these are people, first of all, that they are the right people and that they're going to give me some kind of insights I can drive that decision with. And I do not want to be the only person. Like being first to market, being a pioneer in this is not my goal here. I, I would love it if as an industry we got behind this and got it right because together we are stronger than individuals and selling on B2B sample quality should not be a differentiator it should be table stakes when we talk about how we're selling things that's that's a little soapbox
1: but a little rant
0: yeah sorry yeah um
1: no I, i completely agree with you and i think that you will i i hope and think that we'll have a lot of partners there that will share your concerns and our concerns and hopefully we will talk next podcast or a couple podcasts from now about how great it was great uh well brian i'm gonna set you up you're gonna do the research rant this week yeah do you have one I have one, and only one. Oh my gosh. Okay, go ahead. Give us your sample rant. It's generally, it's about the same topic, actually. It's around quality and specifically around people that use DIY tools. So we have a lot of clients and a lot of newer clients and clients that are trying to save money or using program their own surveys or using like a survey type solution, maybe a Qualtrics. And, you know, a lot of times there's quality checks that are missed um, people aren't having others review their questionnaires. They're not properly screening. And we see this over and over and over. I'm not sure if other people see this as a trend, but we certainly see this as a trend. And it's, it's, it's the concerning thing is that we traditionally in research have had people in those positions forever. People spent their entire career designing questionnaires. People spent their entire career analyzing data. People spent their entire career processing data. And now with DIY tools, one person can do all those tasks. And that's one amazing thing about the innovation and technology increases in research. But the challenge is, should everybody be doing this? I don't think so. So my solution is, I'm going to end my rant with a solution for once. All right. Try to be positive. All so right. Just have somebody call me check it. That's it. So you don't need a formal process. Just have a coworker or another researcher or a person at your supplier. Hey, will you check this? Because I'm the only one that's seen this and I don't know my own blind spots.
0: I love it. you know uh, last week with Amy, we talked a lot about service and how service has become this kind of um, – it's not – what you expect on every study because a because a lot of the APIs, the DIY tools, the automation has made it to our service is really undervalued now. And I think that in the process, so over the last two years, I hear sample being called a commodity a lot, um, that we have commoditized the sample industry. But I believe that it is very hard with the automation and DIY that we've stepped up with and making it to where anyone can be a research manager, basically, Um, we have commoditized the industry. Absolutely. And not just the sample aspects of it. And there's that, I I told this story last week with Amy, but like, So redoing my kitchen at my house, right? And my wife goes gets all these quotes for getting new subway tiles in our kitchen, our backsplash. And I get these quotes back, and they could have said $3, they could have said $1,000, it doesn't matter. To me, in my head, I think that I've watched HGTV, DIY, I've watched all these channels in 20-second, 30-second clips do the tile. I can do the same thing. I can get a table saw. I can, I can cut the tile. I can measure it out. I can do this because I've seen it done so many times. How hard could it be? And it takes me falling on my face to realize that I'm not the expert of it because. That is the same way kind of research is going. We've seen we've given people the tools, maybe not the right way to use them. We've shown twenty second, thirty second clips, presentations, conferences on how to do this DIY sample. We train them quick to that, and you're not an expert of that. You're not going to have the best value, the best experience just by doing those type of clips. That's a really good analogy. Thanks so much. Impressive. I appreciate it. My wife will appreciate that analogy as uh, this redecorating of our kitchen drives our marriage further and further apart Um, (laughs) so typically we do our interview this time uh, no guest this week my fault (laughs) should put that out there 100% my fault we were supposed to record last Thursday it did not happen we talked about recording last Friday it didn't happen a little bit this week I have been a wreck over the last week so no guest this week I apologize It's okay. I don't
1: mind talking for an extra 10 minutes. Oh, good.
0: Good. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk just you and I. Um, Let's talk about so my presentation on Thursday. I showed you it. This will probably go up right before or after. I'm looking at Producer Brian. He's showing me his calendar. He's shaking his – he doesn't know. We don't know. Uh, But the theme of it is elephant. No. Uh, The theme of the presentation is really looking at B2B sample and how it's always been kind of an elephant in the room that we've ignored. Uh, Mainly because the most pressing, pressing issue based on revenue and where a lot of the money is coming from has been this consumer goods type. And they've... If anything, also if you have someone speaking at a conference or being kind of a thought leader, it comes from a consumer goods company, right? Even SampleCon, you have Dell is coming to speak, right? And they're right. a consumer goods type company. Need to push that forward. But as somebody that works in our insights department, what are some of the main things that you see? Why, why do we have sample B two B sample quality issues? What are some of the main ways that get us to those quality issues?
1: Well, one of them is that I I think as an industry, we tend to feel that if you're good at a consumer panel, you're also really good at a B2B panel. In some cases, that's true, but not in all cases. And so people tend to think, if partner A, oh, they're really good on this, I'm going to use them for everything. And that's not true. And the second way is that I think a lot of clients, and I'm not sure if that's a market research client or the end user of the data client, but they tend to think that in sample industry we have perfect targeting. So right. if you say, hey, I need to talk to CEOs, and then the first question is, are you a CEO, yes or no? And we know because we've been in this for way too long that you need to kind of hide and build a better screener than, than that because people change right. jobs. And you don't know what kind of targeting every panel has. Those are the, probably two ways.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it really is. So there's two sides of the coin, right? There is the – it's the sample supplier's fault, and then there is – it's the client's fault. Yeah. And I think a lot of these conferences you go to naturally because no one wants to point a finger at it, You know, you don't buy the hand that feeds you. You don't talk about the client fault. Um, at the same time of that, most conferences that we go to are populated mostly by full-service market research firms. Right. Which arguably have the lowest percentage of removals for a lot of these. Yep. Um, because the problems that we're going to point out with clients and, and client based sample fraud is that, like you said, it's presumed targeting, which honestly we can have a say into sample suppliers. You can come back and get your apples to apples targeting yep. lined up. Um, and then questionnaire design, you know, just jumping right into asking, are you the leading questions that you have? And that's more so from the brand type perspective, but very rarely are you seeing, First of all, full service market research firms aren't talking about B2B research that they're doing. It's a small percentage, probably. Management consulting firms aren't going at all to any of these market research firms. Like maybe at TMRE, you might see someone from Boston Consulting Group. Maybe. For the most part, you're not seeing a lot. Of, I think a couple of years ago, uh, there were some people at Bain at like a TM, TMRE type, type company. For, for the most part, What's the incentive for them to go to those type of conferences, right? There's no like sales driven. And then for brands, very rarely do you have B2B type brands. So like your Siemens, those type of companies that are doing mostly B2B type research. So they're not learning this. So it's up for the sample supplier to tell them or the full service firm for the most part. But if sample suppliers are going to them directly, it's up for them to tell them this. And it becomes like a bite the hand that feeds you type thing. And so it takes falling on your face and having bad sample Leaving a bad experience, bad taste in someone's mouth for it to happen, which typically benefits the next sample supplier that calls, right? Yeah. So for to me, like the best successes that I've had with a client on this B2B sample has been we've worked with another partner. They didn't walk us through this. They didn't teach best practices. We fell on our face. We didn't get the results we wanted. And now we're over with you. How can you make this better? And it's such an easy fix, right? First to market is horrible sometimes in right. the b 2 sample world.
1: Yep. I, I do think there is um, an ignorance in terms of, like, steps. And, and part of that is just kind of virtuous that you think the world is perfect. But... You know, there there needs to be things, like people don't know that you need to do things like validation techniques and ensure that there's open-ended questions that you're analyzing the results and red herring questions and questions to, to check people's engagement. People don't know that generally that that needs to be included. Um, that's all of our roles to help teach our clients that, and I think we're not doing a great job at it.
0: Well, I know for consumers a lot of times when we're looking at what is bad data, we're measuring things like speeders and cheaters and straight liners, those things like that. Is there anything different with
1: B2B for measuring fraud?: Well, the challenge is the validation aspect, I think, and you're going to talk about this, but the, we've, we've developed some methods of pretty good methods actually validating people's if they're a consumer. You know we can addri- we can validate their address. We validate their email address. We validate their telephone number. So we know they're a real human being. And for a consumer test, that's really kind of the validation we need. Are you just a, Are you an actually a consumer? Well, we're all consumers, so that's easy. We haven't done an effective job in B2B of validating that they are in the role that they claim they're in, that they're the company they claim they're in, that they have the responsibilities that they claim. That's the challenge. That's the million-dollar question.
0: Yeah, I agree. It has to be some kind of better verifying, you know, and it's um – I guess to me, the golden goose has always been this like third party or s- some kind of verification with that. So there was a big selling point for some panels as well that LinkedIn verification. Yep. And I think what we found there is that we've used LinkedIn as kind of uh, the same way someone would say that they've won a JD Power Award that, well, that must mean it's great, right? Yeah. When realistically, there's less than less than 30% probably have yep. opted in to the LinkedIn verification. And then once you do that, you know, how deeply profiled is their LinkedIn? Well, and also
1: if, if someone, does their LinkedIn profile job title well, match the responsibility of the survey? That, so there's a lot of pe- things to figure out. Even if you agree to have your LinkedIn profile validated on a survey, we all have a different job titles we use for different things, right, and different ways of representing our responsibilities. So who knows if that even matches and what is the correct match? And that's a huge gray area that's that's tough to manage. I agree. And then
0: the other step would be to use another party. So um, TrueSample really made it to waves. We started to verify things against Axiom Database. Um, and now, you know, that's part of Verity, Imperium, things like that. But do you believe, like, is there a way to do another
1: kind of verification that way? There has to be. Right. So there are companies out there that are third-party aggregators. Sure. That use other, I guess, public databases and some subscription databases that can validate people. Um, that, that's a tough world. That's a complicated world. And that's where I think our industry needs some help. We need someone to become the leader. I mean, everyone knows. If you're listening to this, you probably know who TrueSample is and you probably yeah. know who Imperium is. sure, But – who is the B2B verification third party partner that we all need in the industry?
0: Yeah, that's kind of the next step up, right. Um, to figure out who, who is going to step up. There has to be, there has to be a pain point for someone, for something to change. And I, to me, I've always looked at everything as like, don't get to the point of pain before you try to get things to change. You know, we kind of got there with consumer. It started to be where, Brands started pulling market research firms in-house, you know. So, you know, a huge company will all of a sudden hire someone with a doctor in and then start up, like, their own research company. And, and that kind of hurt the industry. And then you started to see automation and DIY start to come. And that's really been an attack on the full-service market research firm. Yeah. And I think that I wouldn't want to get to that point of B2B research to where it becomes, well, let's just do it ourselves. Um, so it's kind of a call to arms for research suppliers to you know police yourself get the things the technology in place to talk about what are you doing with deduplication what are you doing with bot control what are you doing with portal entry what type of targeting are you doing and then educate your client on how to do it from there very good um that's the end of the interview uh we're not <laughs> going to do the four p's at some point i should probably do that like for me yeah yeah uh, but let's jump into our Mount Rushmore of the week. Our Mount Rushmore of the week. I got this actually from you'll. If you go to the presentation, the sample presentation, there is a there make is a wrestler appearance in the slideshow of mine. Uh, so I wanted to do a Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers. It's something we talk about a little bit. Yeah, around the office. Um, it's something that probably two percent of the people listening can relate to. Yep. Who knows? Maybe we'll strike like a nostalgic. Type of nerve. Uh, so, Brian, what
1: is your professional wrestler, Matt Rushmore? This is tough, and I know you're going to disagree with at least one or two of these. Okay. So, the two easy ones, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. I don't think there's much debate there. They really built wrestling from kind of a niche little entertainment to just huge, you know, getting on national TV and pay-per-views. I mean, they're just the two giants of the sport. After that, this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to go with The Rock as my number three. Um, I think that he really became kind of the lovable heel. Um, just And you can see he's the biggest movie star in the world now, I think. And then my fourth one is, I'm going to go, this is where you might disagree, Rowdy Roddy Piper. In my generation, Roddy Piper was amazing. And the reason I'm putting him on, the, on my Mount Rushmore is because he went outside the ring. So he he had Piper's pit where he'd interview people, and he had incredible mic skills, and built this amazing heel persona, and people hated him. But he did it not necessarily in the ring. In the ring, he wasn't that great of a wrestler. He was really good at talking and building up a heel status. That's my top four: Hogan, Flair, Rock, Roddy Piper. Um,
0: your list. Your list is trash but it's like a different it's like the best type of trash you could have it's like a biodegradable okay um you know those things like that you have the coke or like the can holders yeah and then they made it so like fish could eat them yeah so it wouldn't like choke a duck or a fish that's what your trash that's what your list is so if we lost something yeah. in my trash you wouldn't mind getting you wouldn't it mind out. getting okay. going not going yeah there's not like gravy on it or right. anything it's not bad i'll take it um so, Flair is the obvious number one. Um, he's the greatest character of all time. He's the greatest wrestler. Uh, number two, you said like Hulk was like undisputable. Yeah. I think but so. like his legacy is severely tarnished. A horrible wrestler. He had three moves. If anything, the one thing with the Hulk that you can get is that he made wrestling popular for two separate generations. Like he had, you know, when we were kids, It was, and both of us growing up in Kentucky, it was mainly Memphis and NWA type wrestling and what became WCW. So it was a lot of TBS type stuff. So that's why Flair was a big part for us and like Jerry the King Lawler and those type guys. Andy, we've talked about Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler a ton. Yep. Um, Hawk was the New York City wrestling because that's what WWE was. And that was Madison Square Garden. And like he was trying to popularize and make national this fame. So he made huge, but he couldn't wrestle. And he got more popular when he became a heel and went to WCW in the later years. Well, I
1: don't know if I'd agree with this. That's because you're a young one. He took it national. I don't think that. I mean, when did Ric Flair first go to WrestleMania? It wasn't one or two. That yeah, WrestleMania would not exist without Hulk Hogan. Him and Andre the Giant was the most was the biggest match of it transcended sports. I think Flair's first WrestleMania was nine, eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. I don't dispute Flair, yeah. but Hogan. I, Maybe it's because again you're a little younger, but man, it was huge. I get you. I mean, we went to this was before pay-per-view existed. We went to I think it was closed circuit TV in Louisville Gardens. Oh yeah. Paid twenty bucks to sit in a theater and watch WrestleMania. And wow. It was the greatest time of my. It was the
0: greatest. That's wild. Um... My number three. Um, oh, also um, Hulk Hogan turned out to be really racist, and that didn't age very well. <laughs> but no big deal. We'll okay, skim great. over that. Skim over it. Um, number three is uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, the best talker ever, <laughs> the great, best worker probably of everyone. Um, you know what? Here's – this could probably be my rant, but like Macho Man – like – so my avatar on Twitter has always been Macho Man. And Macho Man is actually the wrestler that's in my slide presentation. But – My thing with people always, when they see me, they say Macho Man and they do it in like the Macho Man voice, like they're trying to do a like an impersonation of him. And they always do like the yell Macho Man, like the ooh yeah, like Like the the right the snap into Slim Jim guy. The secret to the best Macho Man is his whisper. Oh. So think back like his promos, because he would come in, me jean oh, like you know, yelling, right. but then he would get real soft and be like, Ooh, the cream rises to the top. Oh yeah, the macho man, Randy Savage, coming after you with Miss Elizabeth. Like this is like this like sultry whispery. That's the key to the best macho man voice. Yeah. And then number four is um, Stone Cold Steve Austin He had a big Stone Cold Or The Rock The Rock yeah He's the biggest superstar On the planet But I go Stone Cold uh, oh. Producer Brian is holding up The Undertaker right now Which proves that He just has a dead ear For lack of a better pun To the wrestling industry He was a made man He's he's trash Your list has gravy on it <laughs> um, That's the end of the Mount Rushmore Not too bad That was a good list Didn't I, get too nerdy into it No that's good um, now it's up for the 30 second shot clock, the non research rant of the week. It is my turn. I've never done a rant, um, uh, but I'm doing it this week and, uh, after the Super Bowl, I've decided to do it on Justin Timberlake. Um, my thoughts on Justin Timberlake is that he is a modern day Frank Sinatra. He tries everything and he is a B to A performer at everything. He's not great at anything. Um, I do believe that it is a shame that he went back to the Super Bowl and kind of did a tongue-in-cheek reference to Janet Jackson when he kind of threw her under the bus. Yep. And her career was lost based on a mutual decision that they made. And now he is rising up and becoming like the most famous person on the planet while she can't get any work and yep. no one's buying her albums again. I also believe that he has somehow taken like a boy band success and then gotten into a different part of culture. Um, problematic. The type of things that Justin Timberlake has done with his career, he's basically stolen Michael Jackson's career arc and what he should do and just not been weird about it. Um, that being said, all of that is beneath the surface type things. And I think over Twitter, a lot of times I read a lot of Gawker and Deadspin and stuff. Everybody was all over Justin Timberlake. And I think we should take it for what it is on the surface so that he is the best entertainer that we have. 40% of his songs are really, really good. <laughs> and we should just take him that if he's on TV, you are going to stop and you're always going to watch whether you love him or hate him because he entertains everybody more than anyone else on the planet right now. That's the end of my rant.
1: That's a good rant. I, I agree with that. I was a little down on him after the Super Bowl, during the Super Bowl halftime show. I feel like he, first of all, his intro, I feel like he cheated on Jessica Biel at least 10 times, number one. And yeah. then he comes out with a, a boy band. Yeah. I think he cheated on his boy band and his no, wife man. within the first minute of the halftime show. I was disappointed. <laughs> no, it's good. And I saw like
0: something I was watching. It was like, you know, his new album is dedicated to his wife and his kid. And his wife yeah. is on like 14 songs of it. And I was like, wow, this is going to be weird. It's called Man in the Woods. And I was like, this is going to be like a country. I love my family. America, MAGA type mm-hmm. stuff. And then the first song is basically about some kind of erotic robot f- filthiness, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool hey, whatever. Right. But it's not exactly what I go into the woods for. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, Well, that does it for this episode of Untelecast. You can find us this week at SampleCon in Austin, Texas. Uh, Make sure to stop by the scavenger hunt if it hasn't already happened by the time you're listening to this. Um, Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, I will be presenting on the quality of B2B sample. A lot of the same type things you heard here, but I'll be trying to stretch that out into 45 minutes. Uh, (laughs) Following that, we have Quirk's East at the end of February, February 27th and 28th. Please see in Brooklyn, Kelly Clayton of EMI. And then after that, we are at Qualtrics in Salt Lake City. Um, very excited for that. More and more speakers coming up for Qualtrics every single day. I'm just excited for like the leadership opportunity that's going to give us out there um, and just learn a more about this like up and coming um, and soon to be public company. Who knows? Um, that being said, anything else from you, Brian? No. Thanks. Producer Brian, anything? No, head shaking. All right. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of IntelliCast, and we look forward to seeing you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.